Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we introduce you to the movers and shakers of the craft beer business and other interesting fields of endeavor. I'm here in the tap room with my co-host, Maria Cabre. Hello, Maria. Hi, John. Who's our first guest? Our first guest is the co-founder of Lua Brewing Company in Des Moines, Iowa. Along with husband and wife team of Scott and Whitney Selix and executive chef James Arbaugh, he has created a craft beer and craft food experience that has made a huge impact on Iowa's capital city. In three short years, Lua has garnered numerous local and national awards, media recognitions, and the love of legions of loyal followers. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Zach Dunbar. Thank you very much for joining us today. How you doing, man? Yeah, good, good. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime, man. Uh, glad to uh, at least have you guys' presence back on uh, on the show here after we saw you down here for Wakefest a couple weeks ago. So let's uh, let's start at the beginning here. When did you first become aware of craft beer? I mean, was there also a specific beer that kind of lit that spark for you? Yeah, you know, honestly, for me, I, I really, when I started drinking, it was it was uh, kind of, I loved right into craft beer. So uh, I got my first job. I mean, I started bartending when I was 21, and I was working at craft beer bars. Um, and it was 23 when I kind of transitioned over into um, working at a brewery. And yeah, it was 23 or 24, I think it was 2015, it would have been that I got hired on at Forger. So right. really, craft beer for me was something that I've been interested in since I, I started drinking. I'm not sure exactly why. I had a good friend um, right when I was when I got into it that was big into trading. So it was just kind of like uh, hit the ground running for what it's worth. See, I remember trading for, and the first beer that I was really excited about was Pliny the Elder. That and, Okay. And Hetty Topper were kind of like the transformative beers for me, for sure. And I was in Minnesota at the time, so people were really excited about Surly uh, IPAs and double IPAs. So they'd release a brace of every year. That was kind of the trade bait that we'd use to uh, to get the stuff we wanted to try. But yeah, California beer, a lot of California beer in the beginning. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I mean, back then it would definitely have been California beer and Hetty Topper. And then probably, what, Three Floyds as well, kind of there out of the Midwest? back yep. then yeah absolutely yep, absolutely when so along the lines obviously you were a bartender and then got into the brewery side did you also start homebrewing as well along those lines yeah you know it's i actually homebrewed my first batch of beer when i was uh 14 <laughs> so i was uh all right I, all right I, I don't know i had some sort of inclination but my dad uh my dad and i brewed some beer for a science project when i was in eighth grade Really? So I kind of started, I honestly started then and, and had a fascination. And uh, yeah, I mean, when I was in college, we were doing a lot of sort of like uh, hippie witches brew. Like I remember making some beers with wormwood that tasted like uh, like drinking liquid dirt. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we, we thought we really had it figured out. We were making probiotic beers and kombucha beers and just, yeah, definitely hippie beers. Definitely a lot of DIY stuff. So yeah, I mean, I kind of always had a fascination with fermentation um and just like like to make things i guess so that that kind of sparked that for sure what what was that eighth grade science project beer do you remember what you guys brewed 
<laughs> yeah, you know, I'm sure I, I'm sure I use much less specific words, but I, we basically use the same kit, uh, homebrew kit with four different yeast strains. Oh, and nice! And tested attenuation. That's... So really, the the, the the control variable was the beer itself, and I think we were testing yeast. That's amazing. I mean, microbes. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Yep. I can't say <laughs> any of them were good. I really don't know. I'm guessing they weren't. I right. Remember them all being dark brown. I don't think they were supposed to be. So. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That is awesome. So when along this journey and path, did you actually meet Scott and Whitney, who are the husband and wife team that co-founded Luau with you? Sure. Yeah. Um, so... Like I said, I started working professionally. I worked at one small brewery in Rochester, Minnesota, where I'm from, right. for about a year, year and a half. And then I met uh, Austin from Forager. I was with those guys from the time they opened until about late 2018. And during my time there, I met Scott and Whitney. They were living up in uh, Minneapolis, and they were really involved in the craft beer scene there, um, just as as people that enjoyed beer and went to beer festivals and stuff like that. And they're both incredibly nice people, and it was one of those things where – you'd see him at a fest and you'd have a 10 minute conversation. And it was like over the years we kept seeing each other. Um, and I knew Scott was interested in homebrewing and stuff like that. It kind of came to a point in 2018 where I was kind of ready for, for next steps and looking to maybe get some, some more leadership and ownership in a, in a brewery. And, and I think um, at that point I had kind of heard whispers that Scott and Whitney were looking to open a brewery down in Iowa, in Iowa. Um, and I reached out, honestly, just kind of like a harmless text, like, hey, uh, I heard you guys are opening a brewery. Are you looking for a brewer or a partner? And they're like, yeah, who do you have in mind? And I was like, well, I might be interested if, you know, depending on things and what Iowa looks like. And, you know, they sent me an offer in, I think, an hour. And it was, it was from there. It was pretty simple. So, yeah. Uh, I just, yeah, I'd know them. Whitney actually ran. She was a GM of a really great, a great restaurant in Minneapolis. We had done some beer dinners together. So, it was all kind of like kindred spirits all enjoyed and thought the same thing about craft beer. So it was that natural, like, I trust your instincts. I know that you care about the same things that I care about quality, uh, that whole experience, you know, we're really taproom driven. So making good beer, but also making an experience when you come in the door, it's more than just sitting at a bar in front of some tanks, drinking a beer. It's really like the experience we want people to have when they walk in the door, you know, something that's made for everybody. And that's, that's more than and not to disparage. There's nothing wrong with that, but we definitely were going for more of a brew pub. Um, yeah. Full experience food being a big component of that as well. So, you know, that sort of that track and mindset, I think we were really aligned on it. It was, it was a natural sort of, sort of partnership. So you make beer that goes with food, correct? Yeah. We okay. try to. Yeah, that's I mean, kind of what do, we so do. We, yeah. yeah. We do a lot of like, culinary drive beers i would say so beers that are inspired by food whether it's um you know a lot of cocktail inspired beers or things that are inspired by flavor profiles from food that we enjoy and then yeah specifically when we do we do a lot of um beer dinners i guess i would say we do one almost every other month right now it seems and those are generally six we've done six to ten courses and those are dinners where instead of just taking a food item and pairing it with a beer in a draft menu we're doing uh, small batch infusions and treatments to every kind of beer that you try there. So whether it's uh, infusion with it's a beer on, de- on draft with some extra infusion, or we've done you know things as far as ice distillation. Uh, we've oh, conditioned nice. beer on black garlic. We've conditioned beer on smoked tuna hearts. Like all types of weird shit. It's just kind of like it's really fun to come. <laughs> I guess sit sit down in these sort of like meetings when we develop these ideas. That's amazing. And Chef James, who's got this great palate and mindset but maybe less of the 
beer production approach is like, Hey, let's like, I have this food dish and I really need a bunch of acid and I need a bunch of this. And why don't we put fucking this in it? And it's like, (laughs) you want to at first be like, well, I can't really do that. And then you're like, well, it's five gallons. Like why not find a way? Why not? We can probably do this, you know, and at least try. So yeah, but yeah, sorry. Long winded approach. But yeah, we do a lot of food for beer and food inspired by beer for sure. I mean, we, we talk on the show a lot about kismet and how there's a little magic in the way things kind of come together. I mean, after you've taken a leap of faith, when you, Whitney, you know, and Scott were planning to open a brewery, a really accomplished chef, a.k.a., you know, James Arbaugh from Michelin started restaurant in San Francisco was moving to Des Moines. Did you start to think that all the stars were kind of aligning to make this project something special with all this, all these forces kind of coming together at one time? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was one of those like uh, too good to be true situations because it was literally a uh, it was a Craigslist ad that he responded to. And so you like <laughs> okay. shuffle through these responses, right? And you're getting all these like resumes and stuff looking for a head chef. And this was really, to be honest, last minute for us. Like the approach was we really wanted to have food, but we didn't have a fully, that was kind of definitely the missing component. We didn't have a fully flushed out, like this is what it's going to look like. This is who's going to run it. This is, you know, nuts and bolts. And yeah, literally you get that, you get that resume in the mail and it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm James. I used to work at this ex plume tourist Michelin star restaurant. I'm moving to Des Moines. Do you guys still need a chef? And I was like, well, this isn't real. Like this is obviously some sort of scam. So you go through and you make the phone call. And it's like, no, nope. lo and behold, he's, yep. He and his wife got pregnant and she's from Fort Dodge, which is 45 minutes North of us. And oh, wow. wanted to be back with the family and, it was just like, yeah, come on down. He, I think he made cacio e pepe the first time that we met him, and it was like that was, sealed the deal. Easy. I mean, I love cacio yeah. e pepe, so <laughs> that, yeah. that would have sold me too. <laughs> it was very simple. It was like, yeah, you you can have a job. When when can you be here? Any great pasta dish would would seal the deal. I think <laughs> you know I mean? it's it's I like mean, beer though. It's like me. simple components, you know. Right. Like, exactly. Like, you, there's nothing to hide behind you. Have no, to I. Do it uh, well I and it's, what do you have like five components maybe four you know at most and if you can make a great dish out of it you know you actually have somebody that is worth the salt you know what i mean so what is the deal behind the name and the logo which is of a tree with a tire swing um sure so the name then it's a few things it's the name of a dog so it's scott when you have this this adorable little kind of like bullish looking dog uh, and her name is lua so that's that's the big part of it um but i think more so than that, we were looking for something um, less defined and sort of that felt feminine. Okay. So I think a big part of what we do in our branding is we do a lot of things that I think, and, and especially the feel of our taproom, it's not a, and I hate to break it down into this dichotomous like masculine feminine, but I think there's a lot of masculine branding in brewery. Of course. Uh, in brewing right now. And we kind of, we kind of took this softer approach to like, uh, we're woman run. Uh, Whitney's the president of the company. Right. Um, so a lot of that comes down to, um, we wanted something that felt approachable. Oh, hello. Oh. <laughs> uh, that felt something that felt approachable and something that felt um, more feminine, more soft, more gentle. I mean, I think the, the word just kind of like flows a little bit. So as the dog, it was that sort of feeling of needing something less harsh, abrasive, something softer, and then just okay. kind of like uh, not a word necessarily. Right. So it doesn't, there's no real association. I think a lot of people go Hawaiian maybe, right. which is what we've gotten a little bit of that, but like, it's just kind of like this abstract thing that, that really leaves the door open for definition. No, I agree with that. Um, I mean, I mean, that's a great approach. I mean, we kind of went right down the middle and just did pop culture, which is for everybody. 
So it's kind of yeah. like suits the 100%. whole suits the whole room. You know what I mean? You got comics, you got Star Wars, you got a little bit of this and that, all pop culture. So it kind of hits everybody on all fronts. So it's I, approachable, I, right? Yep, that's the way it should be. You know, you, you, know? you don't want to exclude anybody before they walk in the door, and that's you know. No, uh, you know, putting beer should be for everybody, right? Putting chains at you know, chain at, you know, like an axe or a chainsaw or lumberjacks might you know. <laughs> <laughs> one side things here but i mean and i think that's that's dope like, absolutely no absolutely that. that's cool but it's like there's room for everybody right you can oh, yeah. do that we can do this and we have a choice thankfully yeah so i should mention that you and scott both brew but you don't like the term brewmaster so you were simply titled a brewer like what is your process do you both come up with new ideas and hash them out together or is there more of a lead role by somebody you think um, I think so the way sort of, uh, when we approached this business, the thought would be that Scott and I would kind of work together in the brewery. Whitney would run a front of house. Um, and then James being the last component would, would sort of manage the kitchen. Um, we figured out pretty quickly that, uh, that was not enough. <laughs> so right. Scott, Scott, uh, his, his motivation, uh, and sort of his expertise, he actually was a lawyer before okay. opening this business. So he has a lot of uh, a lot of knowledge that's really essential, especially in the build out phase and just kind of getting going. And it became he's also the president of the Iowa Brewers Guild. Oh, okay. So it became very evident very quickly that we had uh, a lot. Uh, we were pulled in too many directions. Right. So Scott kind of focuses focuses more as an ops manager, and I, my role is more. I guess you'd call it, you'd call it a head brewer here. And it's not that I dislike the title, but I just like it's. The, I don't know. Maybe it's just to try and keep me humble more than anything, I think, <laughs> right, I in some sense. Okay. So that I, I, my ego doesn't get ahead of me. But, yeah, I just, you know, just wanted to be just a brewer and just kind of, like, leave that title out there. So that's just, like, that's what I do, you know. And people that work with me are brewers, and we all we all share share that burden. Ultimately, obviously, I'm making those decisions at the end of the day. But I think, you know, I didn't get here on my own. You know, all the things that I've learned about craft beer are from – going to festivals like Wakefest and networking with all the people that have these great ideas and, and really craft beer is great because it's the information's out there, right? If you're going to ask a question, like you're going to learn. And I think that's, you know, just knowing that, that I got to the point that I'm at by learning from other people right. and kind of being, being reflective and being uh, grateful for that. And just, yeah, I just want to, nothing that I've done here is on my own. And I just want to make sure that that door is always open for other people to, to provide input, all the people that I work with, you know, brewers that work here with me, it's yeah, very free flowing. I hope you're listening to the beer hour with Jonathan Wakefield. And we're speaking to Zach Dunbar of Lua brewing. I, I've kind of shared that same kind of idea, uh, especially, you know, obviously this place shares my name, but ever since the beginning, I mean, you can even ask Maria, I've always been open to input because everybody is sharing a load here and everybody should have, Kind of equal say-so. I mean, not that everybody else's ideas are always that great sometimes, but as a shared collective, <laughs> you know what I mean? As a shared collective, yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you know, as a shared collective, you kind of get saddled to where you can share that burden of ideas because being one person to have to come up with new beers year after year, week, you know, week after week, day after day is exhausting, you know, and you can kind of run out of ideas and kind of run out of that fuel you need to come up with these new ideas. So it's always great to have other people's input to help push to a common goal. You know, so I, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. I mean, that's it hundred percent. That's one of those things that you, you go into this and you're like, 
you kind of like envision your head, what's going to be difficult opening and, and running a business like this. And I never would have thought that like wringing my brain for different fruit combinations <laughs> and like, like hop combinations. And right. it's like, you know, you look at untapped and you're like, how have we made 305 beers in two and a half years? Right. So like that, that's a lot of, that's just a lot of substance. And I'm not going to say every single one was the best beer in the world, but like it's, it's constantly like juicing an idea of being like, all right, this is, let's give this a shot, you know? And it's, yeah, I agree hundred percent that. And that's the nice thing too, is like, I like working in an environment where you can have a bad idea and you're going to get that feedback directly and right away. And it's <laughs> yeah, like, right. listen, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm never going to say there's a bad idea, but like, we're, we're going to filter through this, you know, a little bit for what it's worth. And yeah, I think that's, that's important too, because some of those ideas that sort of seem dumb in your head, you say them out and you flush them out a little bit. And it's like, <laughs> like I said, it does work. You know, I think about like, it was, it was after my time there were forger, uh, those guys made that a beer with ants, like roast. I remember, ants. Yes. Yes. I actually tried that beer. <laughs> so, yes. And you're like, you're like, you think about it and you're like, on the top of my head, I'm like, as a first process, I'm like, well, somebody should have said no to this idea, like along right. the way. And you're like, well, wait, hold on. Like, it's a really usable ingredient. It has a story. Like it has this yep. thing behind it that, that, that gives it credence. And it's like, speaks on a lot of different levels and, and, the flavor profile actually makes a lot of sense for barrel aged stout. When you think about it, it's kind of that like smoky mesquite thing. Yep, like, yep. Yeah, I tried it and I was like, I didn't want to like this, but this is. It's actually pretty, pretty good. good. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so in the beginning, you guys plan to have two German style beers on tap at all times, a Hefeweizen and a Pilsner. Why was yeah. that? Why was that important to you guys to have those two base beers, like those two flagships? Um. I, yeah, I think that's just kind of was the progression of of my, my taste in beer at the time. And really in 2017, 2018, I was really invested personally in just trying to figure out what it takes to make really good lager. And just that fascination with, like, I think we talk about, a lot of people talk about the cyclical craft beer consumer yep. of like, you go, we've talked about it, the sour, the hoppy, the barrel aged, the most, you know, the most of everything. And then you kind of come back to center and like, I want balance and simplicity and ingredients to, to express themselves. And I'm looking for somebody that, takes stewardship over those ingredients and wants to make them as good as possible. And, yeah. and that's just really for me. And I think, yeah, again, coming back to being group up based and like wanting to make approachable beers that, uh, you know, the biggest thing for me and the, the biggest compliment we get is like when somebody comes in, they're like, you know, I lived in Germany for 30 years and like this beer tastes like being back there, you know? And it's like, those are the types of things that really make me appreciate, you know, coming from being a beer nerd, coming from living in the extreme. So like seeing people that are like, just want to enjoy beer and have it be maybe not the center point of what they're doing, but like have an experience that, you know, that beer is involved in is, is important to me. And yeah, just definitely the fascination and love of German beers and that brewing process nice. um, was a big part of it. Which are your most popular beers so far over the time you guys have been open? And why, why do you think that is? It's well, I think a lot of it's based on the pandemic. Like if I was going to go through the last two and a half years, uh, we had a lot of success with smoothie, smoothie style beers. And that was really in the height of shutdown. Right. That was like to go sales. And it really was something that in this would have been early, yeah, early mid 2020 just wasn't in Iowa. And it's kind of like, we always see beer trends come from you guys on the coast right. and really move inwards towards the Midwest. And so obviously kind of being discerning and watching that stuff happen, you're like, all right, smoothie beers are happening. Right. And so, you know, we're shut down and we're like literally weren't even packaging beer. We had been open for three months before the shutdown. Wow. And I was like, all right, let's get a crowler machine. Let's like smoothify some beer and get it into cans. And we saw, you know, people come in, we could sell, and we sold like 1500 cans in one day at the height of it, you know, Ooh. crowlers, you know, which is nice. a lot for us. And yeah, that's and a lot. Was, yeah. 
but then yeah, kind of transitioning back to life being open, barrel aged style releases are always really popular. But I mean, I think in terms of our tap room, honestly, a beer that you guys inspired our coconut hef is probably our most popular tap room beer. <laughs> and it was a beer that we made. We I remember I made a coconut right. hef at Forager because I was I was down there visiting you guys in 2015, 2016. Right. I mean, I flew down just for DFPF releases back in the day when I nice. was just hardcore nice. uh, craft beer consumer. Okay. And I remember falling in love with El Jefe at the tap room. And I was like, this is just like such a natural union of flavors. And coconut's always been kind of my Achilles heel. Like I love, yep. I put coconut probably in more beers than I should. Um, <laughs> Sound like us. I, just, <laughs> I can't, it never misses. I, I mean, it just generally doesn't make a beer worse for what it's worth. So absolutely. Yeah, we've, we've put, we made that one time as an offshoot of our half. And now we split all of our full batch half, half down and make half coconut, half and half regular. Cause that we, is awesome. we couldn't stop putting it on tap. We have people that will come in and buy four or five cases of bottles when it comes back. Really? That, that is it's, awesome. It's, man. It has a cult following. I don't, I don't know. It's just, yeah. That is know, amazing. Man. Man. You know, it's, yeah. it's a fun, it's a fun banana cream pie sort of beer. It's I, I mean, I love it. I mean, it's, it's what, you know, it's something I did as a homebrew kind of carried over here into, you know, full-time production and wherever we send the beer, it's, it's the best seller. It does well. It's yeah. the first beer I brewed without John here. Yep. And I remember calling him about seven times <laughs> that day, <laughs> just like. I hope I don't fuck this up. I hope I don't fuck because we do a, a three step mash. Yep. Okay. Um, I don't know. It was it. It's a funny That's memory. A lot of pressure. Yeah. You I, have a funny the, memory. You have the namesake to yeah. carry on of like that beer. You know yeah. that because that is your your guys's flag. Yeah. One of your flagships, right? I mean, it, two, it is three. the it is the number one flagship. I mean, it's the beer yeah. we sell the most of and make the most of. You know, it's it is the you know it's what this house was built on basically. I mean, that's See, the way. And goes. I love that because it's not like, and this is not, again, not disparaging, but like a lot of people lean on that gold narrow, that yeast prop sort of beer. Yeah. Like that beer is none of those things. It's no. pain in the ass to make multi-step like you guys decoction beer. Yeah. It's not cheap. We can't really reuse that yeast super well. Like it's, it's, it's a labor of love to be that, you know, flagship beer. But again, it touches it's a taproom beer. You see all types of people, all walks of life. People I never would expect walk out of here three cases of a coconut half bison. You know. I mean, we we actually have people I think that come in every day just for that beer, yep. buy it to go. I mean, it's I mean it, nothing else. There's no other beer like that. So that's awesome to hear that you guys have the same problem. <laughs> that's awesome. So you know, in many tap rooms, you know, and as I've seen and and, and been around that. Food can kind of be an afterthought. I mean, as I think we've gone on in the industry and, and gone on with this, I mean, food is becoming more of a center point and being more tied into the beer. Not, you know, and, and that is very apparent at, at your guys' brewery or, or, or brew pub. You know, as you mentioned, Chef James launched the food side of Lua. Can you briefly describe the menu and what are some of the dishes that you guys are known for? Sure. Yeah, so menu, the menu is, is seasonal. So we pr- it generally changes as it's been about four times every year. Um, that's was a complete overhaul. There's a few things that don't go away now. It's really, yeah, it's really, again, seasonally inspired based on the seasons, available ingredients. Um, something that people really latched onto is our smash burger. Of course. Um, I think that's <laughs> nice, pretty popular everywhere, but massive amounts of butter and beef. It's a blend of <laughs> three, yeah, three different types of chuck. I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's, very savory, more expensive blend of beef, bunch of butter, bunch of salt, smashed American cheese, uh, you know, a sort of like pseudo mac sauce and uh, fried onions. Nice, man. Um, and that's does not go away. Uh, avocado toast. Um, 
I mean, it's not the biggest menu, but it is always generally rotating. Like we always do. It's very vegetarian, vegan friendly, gluten-free friendly. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. And, and just a lot of rotating specials. So we, uh, like six months out of the year, we do this Tuesday thing special. So James brings in some type of fare that he wants to make and he'll have like a hundred covers and just like when it's gone, it's gone. And like simple things, like we do a lobster roll and he's, so he's a California chef and he really loves to cook seafood. Oh, so like that's any, a good any thing. seafood thing that we do here in the middle of, in the middle of Iowa, people lose their minds for because you can't really get great. And there's good seafood. Don't get me wrong, but like, he, he really excels at cooking fish and like our lobster rolls, they, we sell like 200 of them in two hours, literally like wow. you have to show up when we open for lobster rolls. Wow. <laughs> it's wild. So, you know, it's, it's great being in a market like Des Moines because it is a, it's not necessarily a small town, you know, there's 750,000 people in the Metro, but like, it's really growing and developing in terms of culture, culinary, beer, all that kind of stuff. So kind of being in ground level and seeing it, kind right. of like grow and being a part of it and being a staple of it is, is huge for us. But yeah, it's, it's constantly rotating and that's the nice. I have not, I have yet to go to Iowa. I mean, there are many good reasons to go to Iowa. I mean, you're looking at me like if I've been to Iowa, I know you, I know you, I know you have not been to Iowa. What would you say? You really have to intend to go to Iowa. I think right. in Florida. <laughs> what, what is the beer scene like out there in Des Moines? In Des Moines, I want to say there's, 15 16 breweries now uh, i mean again it's i would say definitely not saturated for the population that we have here it's it's growing rapidly um it's it's a mix of everything a lot of the breweries are more established there's a few younger breweries brewery that i find myself going to all the time is called confluence and they are very much derived from a lot of traditional style brewing really nice people and and yeah i mean i think again what i would say is that we really found our niche pretty quickly and i think that us kind of having a mix of uh, more, what would, what would you call it? Trendy, newer styles of beers, like always kind of rotating tap menu, right? Like we talked about never having the same beer on mixed with like always having a Brown Porter, a half bites in a Pilsner, a Dunkel, um, kind of keeping those tap room staples there. But I think, yeah, there was really a, a space for us to kind of be making these more new age, trendy styles of beers. And I think that really, it, it was good, a good time for us to, to hit the market when we did. Awesome, man. Awesome. I got one last question for you. So yeah. can you describe to our audience Des Moines' signature dish, Steak Day Burgo? And aside from Chef James Burgo Bites, what, who makes the best one <laughs> in this city? Yeah. I, I wish somebody could answer this question for me. I have no idea. So I'm a transplant. <laughs> I've only lived here for two and a half years. And I still – it's this. And you want to know what people in Iowa really love? It's – the pork tenderloin, but it's not a pork tenderloin. It's a pounded out quarter inch thick, 10 inch diameter pizza size. Pork breaded, tenderloin. breaded and fried, breaded and fried on, on a, regular a, on a sandwich. Yes. Oh, what is yeah. that called? It's, um, yes, I've seen it on dry, uh, dry, diners, drive-ins and dives. That thing is, yeah, man. it's like the size of like it's, a manhole cover. That thing is it's massive. Ridiculous. <laughs> that, that's a, n- neither of these things. Steak to Burgo, I think is some cut of steak with, Butter, right? Garlic and butter. Okay. So it's really not rewriting the book by any means, as far as I know. I'm sure right. I'm totally wrong on that, but right. I have not explored that world. Uh-huh. But the pork tenderloin is a fascination that I do not understand because that is a dry, crispy, yes, lot of pork breading to get through. It's and like the I, size of a manhole cover. It just doesn't cover. make sense to me, man. But people <laughs> lose their mind for it. I just, I, I'll never understand. I need massive amounts of sauce to dip that thing in like it just is there work. is there uh and there's a place right in the moment what like it, there's like a signature place for that pork tenderloin sandwich right 
I thought oh, there's there was tons of them. Everybody's got the best one in Iowa. Everybody okay. Does. Okay. <laughs> so, so what's Chef James's burgo bites? What are they? They're small nuggets of uh, fillet. Yeah, it's like roasted potatoes, smaller portions of the steak, and then it's just a huge pad of like a garlic butter compote oh, on top. That sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The butter, the butter, there's, the butter. There is nothing wrong with it. Don't get me wrong. It's like it's <laughs> like an overfruited sour. You know, it's like you generally aren't going to lose people with a steak and butter. That's awesome. I think we're going to have to go to Iowa just to try the pounded out tenderloin. <laughs> I, I hope you're not disappointed. No. Have something else on your resume. Dry, dry, dry pork tenderloin. <laughs> well, thank you very not, much. For, not worth the trip, I'm telling you. Well, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you very much for joining us today. This thank is, you, uh, Zach. This has been a great time. And, and thanks uh, for pouring at Wakefest. Because yes. honestly, once I was I was kind of picking Taylor's brain, like who in the Midwest have we not gotten out here or whatever? He's like, oh, my boy, Zach, my boy, Zach. So I was Hell like, yeah. all right, let's invite him. Hell yeah, we were uh, really, really uh, very humbled to be invited. We'd love to come back. Oh, you'll be back. February, you'll be back. baby. Only if you bring tenderloin sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> no promises there. And no promises. Thanks, right. Zach. Thanks, brother. Have a good one. Cheers, guys. Yeah, You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. The 7th Annual Wakefest Invitational Beer Festival and Anniversary Celebration took place three weeks ago on Saturday, April 9th, here in Miami. We've interviewed a few of the brewers that poured at Wakefest, including Zach Dunbar from Lua Brewing Company, who you just heard from. Several listeners have asked what Wakefest is, so while it's fresh in our minds, we thought we'd devote a segment to recapping this year's festival and what goes into producing a beer festival of this size. We're joined in the taproom by Jay Wakefield Brewing's production manager taylor mcdonald and our producer rocco riggio is asking all the questions so this is an example of the some of the insightful questions we're going to ask john what is Wakefest? what is Wakefest? yes um basically it was an idea born out of necessity um i kind of established the idea of holding a beer fest in the idea of a craft beer brewery run beer festival in Miami because Miami had nothing. There were no real craft beer festivals run by craft breweries in Miami. I mean, there really weren't any breweries till Wynwood Brewing came in and then we came in right after. But they weren't doing any festivals. And after my time at Cigar City and all the time that I spent with Cigar City and all the Hunapu days I went to, it kind of bred this idea of us running our own festival. So that's where Wakefest kind of came from. So do you remember, I'll ask Maria, the first time that you guys discussed, you know, what you were going to do for your first anniversary back in 2016? Do you remember those early conversations? So Wakefest actually started 2015 when we had our grand opening. That was that was the initial, the that start the, of the it. the initial fest. Um, there used to be an art gallery next door and that's where we had it. How many people do you think were there, John? I don't know. I mean, what did we, I mean, like we had, listen, we had beer from three Floyds, Hill Farmstead. Yeah. We had, Uh, we had heavy hitters at that fest. Like a very, for our grand opening and we might've had, I don't know, four, 400 people. Yeah. Maybe. So you count your grand opening as the first wake yes. fest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because it, it really was. I mean, it was split between what was in the tap room, the tents we had outside, 
And then we had within it, the gallery. Well, no, we couldn't do it inside the gallery right. because of liability. So in the it back. Was, what used to be the back of it was like just this large grass area. We put more brewers back there. And then and it rained. Oh my god! Were you able to rained. close Twenty Fourth Street? No. 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 no, 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 no. We didn't have the money or the capital for that yeah. at that time. Yeah. But yeah. anyone that you speak to that went to that will say, "Unforgettable." You know, well, the, rain. the rain. It was, was a great time because <laughs> it didn't matter. People were pouring three yeah. Floyds into pitchers yeah. and serving each other. Someone was it running was, back and forth between tents. And was it the first time that those beers were being poured in South Florida or in yes. Miami? Would you say? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were really, that was the very first beer fest anybody like like that that anybody had ever done down here. Down no here, no yeah. one had ever done anything right. like it. Right. And then the following year we did it um where that, Jeremiah had w- a spot on twenty sixth Street. Wake stock. Right. That's what it was called. Oh, Before right, right. it transferred into Wake Fest, it was Wake Stock. Mm-hmm. And there was thirty two breweries there and on two different lots. I think Doctor w- Bill's Corner. Doctor <laughs> Bill's Corner uh from Stone. And then you had uh Chef Jeremiah was the only food vendor. Yeah, he was slanging. Yeah. And, and then do we have DJ? No we didn't I don't well, Yeah, we had a DJ. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think Taylor was there more as a an attendee. He was an attendee, yes. So you mentioned this earlier, John. You you actually the first time that one of your beers was ever served in public was at Cigar City Brewing's Hunapu's uh, Day. Yes. So when you were envisioning the um, opening of a, of a brewery here, did you think I'm going to have a Hunapu's Day type I always, event yeah. that was always in your mind? Yeah. And and is there anything different about Wakefest? Than Hunapu's Day that you you know I, I wanted your to, own twist I, I guess I wanted to make it more for the brewers because you can go to any beer fest anywhere for anything and it's more about the attendees and I really wanted to kind of cater more to towards like the brewers that were coming into town you know and kind of highlight them so it's kind of why we started the tradition before anybody else really did of doing a brewer's dinner. Like a welcome dinner. Like a welcome dinner on Thursday night so everyone... just for the brewers. And then Friday night was the bottle share really for the brewers, which kind of morphs into more of everything. You know, people in the know come and bring bottles. And but, it... it's a, but it's a way for the brewers that may not know some of these other breweries coming in. They forged friendships Right, it was at these dinners. Right, well, and and the bottle share. It and was, the bottle it was share, more about but, building community. Yeah. That's what it was all about. Mm-hmm. Okay, and because so, that's not you know that did not exist in Hunapu Day. Mm-hmm. It did not. Mm-hmm. Hunapu so, Day was just about getting trashed. Right. So Taylor, this was your first one, right? Your first uh, Wakefest, second Wakefest. So so, what what was that experience like? You know, bonding with all those other brewers. Well, I had previously worked other breweries out of town been invited to wake fest um so as far as an attendee wearing your pink shirts yes yeah as far as an attendee <laughs> buying a ticket pit viper is my second wake fest but working is my third right working it previously for a brewery from out of town that i worked at and then now working it as a jay wakefield employee for the second year yeah um it was definitely a little bit more as far as 
this year, I feel like it was definitely a little bit bigger than last year. Obviously, we had COVID and everything had to be a little bit on a smaller scale. Um, also, places were not open last year, so it was a little hard to, I feel like, have that space to have the dinner and the bottle share. Yeah. But this year, it was definitely felt like, it felt like normal again. It felt like we were going back to people not afraid to hug each other, not afraid to, you know, forge friendships, like John said, and and definitely... Uh, I feel like we've also been inviting a lot of, of breweries as of recent that, you know, are, are great people that are finding other breweries to, to kind of have those friendships with and do collabs with and, and kind of just sort of be best friends in the industry. And I, I really think that's my favorite part of it is, is watching people have friendships with each other that may not have known each other from previous. Cool. So, John, do you remember the first time that you heard anyone talking about flying to Miami, booking hotel rooms just for Wakefest? And was that when you realized it, it could become a driver for craft beer tourism in, in Miami? Yeah, I would say, I mean, it really wasn't, it wasn't the grand opening. It wasn't even really Wake Stock. It was probably that third year when we moved it to the initial site where the Mana properties are. 2017. About, about two blocks away. Um, it was in a parking lot, but also housed in that, in that s- building. smaller building yeah. where y- you learn a lot of things along the road, oh God. you know, cause we decided <laughs> to like, you know, release the bottles there, there. for pickup the day <laughs> of the festival, which I, we, trashed. I mean, which was an absolute nightmare. And that was, you know, things you learn to do that you don't ever do again. Explain just, to listeners when they buy a package, they get so, special. So when we sold the tickets, yeah. you know, like for that i mean we really started it for wake stock that you bought a, a ticket package and you got bottles included the next year when we really launched up. launched wake fest in its real form and all the variants sold, of you the know, big VIP Papa. tickets um you can you know when you buy vip tickets it was six bottles included yeah and we had the bright idea of re- your pickup was going to be the day of the festival <laughs> And, that and these are limited release bottles. Right, yeah. I mean, and, there's no yeah, more than yeah. 300 bottles. Right. Of or, each, or, of each you know, brand. Of each if brand. that. If yeah. that. And that's all that exists. Yeah. And it's really just for the festival. Right. And yeah, I mean, we learned never to do that again. So now we release the bottles for you to pick up. Beforehand? Days before the festival so that all you have to do at the festival is just enjoy yourself. The logistics right. are just so much easier because yeah. for us to take all of those bottles to the site. Right. For us to have people waiting, yeah, you know, right. for all these things, yeah. but it's I just mean, much but easier. I mean, here. really, it was. It's it's interesting. Well, to it's see a destination a previous, yeah, festival. Well, I mean, it's not does, just a festival that who, local people who go doesn't to, you know who doesn't yeah. want to be in Miami in yeah. February, right? You know, sure. Or would you rather be in Minneapolis, freezing your ass you know, off, forty below? Right. You know, so I'd rather be in seventy five degree weather with sun. Sure. Um, each year, you choose a theme. Uh, this year it was 007 because it's your seventh anniversary. Um, what's the rationale behind creating a new theme each year and everything that goes into that, all of the oh. uh, brain power and execution, and then programming the entire event around the theme? Why do you do that? What's the benefit? Oh, I think I, it keeps it new. I mean, it keeps it fresh. I mean, you know, it's, I think it's any festival. I mean, think, uh, you know, every, you know, whether it's uh, Coachella or, you know, a music festival, every, the theme or, or idea behind it is still the base, but everything for that year kind of changes. You know what I mean? There's something new added. 
Um, so give us a sense of the logistics on this thing. Huh. How many attendees? How many brewers? Um, how much beer is poured? Do you have a sense of, of, of any yes, of that? Yes, I have all those numbers. <laughs> um, Taylor can talk to you about the Jay Wakefield side of, of that, but yeah. I can tell you um, we had about uh, 1,000 attendees. We had about 160 brewers. Yeah. We had about 160 well, well, in, approximately beers being poured. Right. I mean, in reality, we had 85 breweries. Yeah. We had 85 breweries. Um, and then what was, the, what was the other number? No, I mean, it, it was about 1,000 attendees, yeah. about 85 breweries, yep. uh, 160 beers of not our beers. Not our beers. Right. I mean, and I think we had... I mean, four, eight, uh, twelve. We had twelve taps, Jay Wakefield taps. Yeah, but at the height, twenty twenty was the height. Yeah, February twenty twenty, we had a hundred and forty breweries, and I would say probably close to three thousand attendees. Yep, Mm -hmm. and that was. I mean, it's massive. That was a monster. Uh, Yeah, that was a monster. Mm -hmm. I mean, logistically, it's it's not (laughs) it's not an easy feat to pull off. How many people worked the event this year? Oh. Well, we were supposed to have 15 volunteers. Only three showed up. So oh that's great for logistics. <laughs> um, as far as employees, there were 12. And then there were spouses like um, Taylor's wife, Whitney, um, our head brewer, Dan's wife, Denise. Um, you it, know, and we have a lot of support from the brewers that fly in. Well, that was part of the requisition or demand that we asked that if you were being invited that you actually show up personally because to pour your beer. people I think were even to where we are now I think it's getting better and better and better that people are still a little hesitant about going to these fests you know I, I think we're getting way past that now I mean all the mask mandates are gone pretty much even on airplanes and everything else so I think we're moving back to normal normalcy yeah um but it was still hard for us to find volunteers. Now, next year, that might not be a problem. You know what I mean? But we are going to shift back next year to a much larger format. More people, more breweries. You know, with the space we were in this year can definitely fit more, a lot more. I mean, it felt a little empty, even with 1,000 people there. Yeah. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. We're talking Wakefest with Jonathan Wakefield, Maria Cabre, and Taylor McDonald. Um, a few years back, you went to an invitational format. And you decided to only invite independently owned craft beer breweries. Why was it important for you to make that distinction? I mean, because we're independent and we know what it's like to be independent. And uh, no knock against the guys that are not independent anymore. Uh, very happy for those guys that made that move. Um, but we know what it takes when you don't have the corporate money or the corporate funding, you know, like. The man hours, the funding, the the blood, sweat, and tears that go into that, you know, we know what that is. And we very much respect everybody else that's just like that. So that's why we wanted that format. Because there was also a big push in the industry to identify that. I mean, even with the, you know, Craft Brewers Guild saying a a, a logo to put on your products, you know, of the upside down bottle of independently owned. So there was a massive push for that. We embraced that, and that's why we moved to that format. Since we're on business radio, right. where we like to probe at people's uh, uh, financial, right. is Wakefest profitable onto itself? A simple question. 
The festival by itself, if you take away the bottles, no. Mm-hmm. No, nobody makes money on, on a beer fest. I mean, everybody, I mean, I think everybody imagines that we make so much money on this festival that, like, we're just, you we're know, Scrooge like I, McDuck and we're uh, swimming, swimming in, in the, the coins. Money. Right. <laughs> that, that, that is not the case, right. you know, because you have to hear, I mean, you take into the factors, right? For us, we have, you know, a, a brewery space here, but it, is not a large brewery space. I can't house a thousand people here in 85 breweries. No. So I have to go rent a space in mm-hmm. Miami, which right now the cost of renting property is astronomical. Yeah. So you're looking at anywhere from 15 to $30,000 no, for, for one day. Yeah. And that doesn't include the setup day. So you throw in another five, six, 10 grand just for that setup day. So then you're looking at, Security. 30, 40 grand just for the rental. That doesn't include the power, the cleaning, the uh, security, uh, you know, security, off-duty officers. Right. That doesn't include uh, the beer. That doesn't include ice. That doesn't include anything that you're doing to set up like glassware, have, tables, right. uh, rentals. So, so, and if an event like this breaks even, that's that's a win. Oh, you're happy. Yes. I yeah. mean, I yeah. mean, even yeah. if even if you go in the whole 25, 30, 40, 50 grand, mm-hmm. you're still happy because it's momentum moving forward right you know what i mean right. the thing that really helps us kind of really break even is the bottle sales but we do this because we've been doing it mm-hmm. and people enjoy it and it's really still about community for us and we're not going to stop doing it because it's it's just part of who we are yeah okay what are why are beer festivals still important to the craft beer industry and to the public the way that i see it is it's a way for us because we're not always able to travel that much throughout the year. We really, as, I mean, we really haven't traveled in the last two years. Right. I mean, and, and normally we would go to every single beer fest on the planet. Right. Now, now we're becoming a little more picky. I mean, everything now costs more than it did three, four years ago. So now you, you know, flights, hotels, you know, eating, it all costs more. So you now have to kind of build that in. But I think as an overall thing, beer fests as a whole are really important because you're still trying to keep that beer community and build that beer community because we've had a rough two years so we kind of want to bring everybody back into the scope that hey we're still here craft beer is still a thing and that it's a good thing and it's it's really about bringing people together to have a good time like we're not you know it's not like a frat party but it we're there to have a good time you know good music good beer just hang out chill you know relax you know we all have a good time i find myself inspired that's what I was going to finish my thought is I find myself more inspired by seeing my peers and hearing feedback from them about the fest, about yes. what they're doing, about what they're brewing um, and how the scene is in their city, too. Well, it's also I mean, in like even the people that work here, you know, Taylor, Dan, everybody else kind of just enjoying themselves, being able to talk with the friends that you know like when he used to live in minneapolis and seeing those guys and bringing them back you know it's all you know it's all an important factor and it's all really like i said just community so you know some people listening to the show have never been to a beer festival believe it or not they just listen to business radio right and they like the show what advice would y'all give to someone who's a first timer so they they see a festival that they're interested in but maybe they're not super into craft beer should they research ahead of time? Should they just no, go wing I mean, it? What, what, what advice do y'all have? I mean, honestly, well, I mean, go ahead. What do you guys think? 
I mean, Taylor, you've been to, to a bunch of beer fests, so. Yeah, on, I mean, honestly, some people, they're not, I mean, I get, like, some people just don't like to drink in that scope. Some people don't like to go out and, you know, be surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of people. But, like, <laughs> right. at the same time, right. um, I feel like it is definitely somewhere where you can go, you can drink what you want to drink, right. nobody's going to judge you. Um, and it's something that, that I feel like people, if you, if you like craft beer, there's nothing wrong with going out and supporting drinking in the tap room. That's actually the best thing you can do is to physically go to the tap room and drink. Um, but at the same time, if if there's a a beer fest that's around, I feel like people definitely should go to one at least and experience experience it. it. Yeah, for sure. I, I would definitely, um, advice, hydrate, wear comfortable shoes, Mm -hmm. Um, and, and make sure you eat Yeah, Yeah. uh, because these things, they, they can catch up to you, this alcohol, but at the same time, it is a judgment free zone. Like it's not like going to any other fest. I feel it's, it's open to everyone. I think it's affordable for everyone because at $75 a ticket for for, four hours, for four hours of drinking and you get to take home a glass, a commemorative glass. It's it's an experience and it's something that I think many people can experience. And you can talk to people in line and you bond. You can bond with people that you may have never talked to before about, right. you know, oh, let's talk about this brewery or let's talk about that brewery or, you know, you can you can form friendships. Even the attendees form friendships just no. like the brewers form friendships when they meet each other. I mean, it's, you know, going to a beer fest, if you're just open to the idea and you haven't you don't really drink a lot of craft beer. It's really an open space to try and experience a lot of new things. And there's no one's going to be like, well, if you don't like a beer, like someone's not going to look at you and go like, ah, like get out of here. You no, know what you I mean? just dump it out. And no, move like you move next. on. Like it, it, it's there for you to, to, to open, try it. open your mind, expand your mind and, and try and new palate. things. You yep. know what I mean? It's that's what it's there for. So there is no judgment. You know, I mean, it's not a bunch of heavily bearded dudes, you know, looking at you with cross eyes because you didn't like that beer. I mean, it's not that. It's just there for you to come and enjoy and try a bunch of new beers and see if you like it or not. That's what it is. Cool. All right, last question. What's the funkiest beer that a brewery has ever poured at Wakefest? Oh, wow. <laughs> I think the first time we invited the 8th State is when they brought this 375-milliliter Oh, with the caviar and gold flake? With caviar and gold flakes yeah. in it. Wow. It was delicious. Yeah. Wow. Um, shout out to Cam yeah, and the 8th I mean, State family. Oh boy, that would uh, be mine. Oh, I mean, are you bringing the Omni Polo guys with their uh, slushy machine? Oh um, yeah, that's always a draw. Yeah. Shout out to Hanok yeah. or the shaved ice this year and Magnus. The the, the yeah, what was it the? Oh Riz. okay, so yeah. he made reduct reduction syrups. He did syrups. so. Jeriz, um, good friend of ours, works for other half along with Dino, owner of Vitamin C, another great friend of ours, came you know, together. You know the snow cones? Yes. And, well, they're not really snow cones. It's shaved ice. Shaved but ice, okay. they did it like the Dominicans and Puerto Ricans do it. It's called piragua. So on the street in Puerto Rico and in the Dominican, they have this, like, stainless shaver, and they shave <laughs> well, these blocks they're, they're of ice. They're here in Winwood too. Yes. <laughs> um, so... And then Erin, who used to work for us, who now lives in San Diego, she works for Lost Abbey in Harlan. What flavor she was beer syrup the, do you want? She yep. was the shaved yeah. ice girl, yeah. and she killed it. 
I mean, that was awesome. I mean, typically, like, we get some weird beers, but really, like, the beers these guys are bringing to Wakefest are the heaviest hitters of their lineups. So it's the beers that people most seek or seek out from these breweries. You know what I mean? So it's not like we're getting, you know, you know, something with the salmon roe or sea urchin folded into the beer. It's this. These are like beers that people really, really want. And that's what they bring. So not too weird. I mean, really, it's just, you know, top rated beers they have. Yeah. From time to time, you get the, the ones that they're like, we had one keg of this and we made it. Here you go. Yeah. The, the Blue Magic this year was very interesting. That was. Uh, Who's that? Ur- oh, from uh, Urban South. Urban South. Yeah. That was that was an interesting one. What was that one? It was blue. It was blue. Oh. Like Odd by Nature does funky stuff yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Almost what? like uh blue milk. Oh, okay. Okay. Like, but uh like yeah, Star coconut. Wars blue milk? Yeah. yeah. Oh okay. wow. Yeah. Okay. Do we have a do we have a date for Wakefest eight? February eleventh, twenty twenty three. Back in February. Be All there, right. be square, Perfect. baby. Right. 80, you don't want to 80, reveal the theme, theme eight, yet? Eighties on eight. Eighties oh, on boy. eight. There you go. People are <laughs> right. Miami well, in the eighties, guys. What can I say? Yes. Thank yeah. you very much, John, yes. Maria, Taylor. Uh, bring your polyester suits. All right. <laughs> All right. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Zach Dunbar and Taylor McDonald, our co-host, Maria Cabre, our producer, Rocco Riggio, and our editor, Brian O'Connell. Thank you for listening. You can catch us each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the Sirius XM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. Remember, people, the thirst is real. <laughs>